Hello, PolyAm fam, and welcome to Talk Your Poly Off, presented by ilovepoly.org. This is your podcast for ethically navigating your relationships, your community, and yourself for a healthier and happier lifestyle. This is Bella Doll. She is my sunshine full of giggles. And this is Joshua Monsuda, the logic to my emotion and the chaos to my order. So now you know us. Pull up a seat and let's talk our poly off. Hello, Polyam fam, and welcome back to Talk Your Poly Off. I'm Monsuda. And I'm Bella. And here we are getting ready to talk our poly off. Hey, speaking of talking... Yes. I've had a conversation in my head for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'd like to get your opinion on this. Oh, I'm scared. We often, you know, express to our listeners that we're up here in the Pacific Northwest, and I was thinking about it from a global standpoint, right? right? Say we get a listener from Australia or somewhere in Europe. Mm-hmm. The Pacific Northwest is a very North American or United States thing to say. Mm-hmm. And within that country, you know that it's up there in Washington, Oregon, Idaho, that area. But what if you're in another country and you hear Pacific Northwest? I mean, if we're thinking about this geographically, (laughs) on the landmass of the United States, of North America, Pacific Northwest is there. But what if you're out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean? Wouldn't that make us the Pacific Northeast? I mean, I guess, and if you're in, like, Australia, I'm sure there's a Pacific Northwest portion of their continent. Well, no, well, okay, so I'm thinking about the Pacific Ocean. Yes. So everyone on the globe knows where the Pacific Ocean is. Yes. And if you're thinking about that ocean, and then you're trying to figure out the Pacific Northwest from that mindset, mm-hmm. that would put us, like... In Russia or like Mongolia or something. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know. Well, Pollyam fam, here we are reporting from Washington State. If you're in the United States, the Pacific Northwest, if you're anywhere else in the rest of the world, the Pacific Northeast. <laughs> Washington State, United States, North America. Ta-da, Earth. So <laughs> Bella, how are you doing? That was weird. You're welcome. I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little, my tummy's a little bit upset right now. Um, I am, what, three weeks? A little over three weeks post-op from gastric bypass or R&Y surgery. And so I'm working on my soft foods. I can eat, I'm eating 800 to 1,000 calories a day, hitting about, I think it was 60 grams of protein. Getting in 64 ounces of water or fluids. So I'm doing pretty good. Got a lot of energy still. I'm doing I'm doing good. I want to start getting to the gym to start doing some strength training and weightlifting. But I think I ate my eggs and cottage cheese a little fast this morning. They're all soft and they go down and they sit in my tummy pretty good. But I think I ate too quickly. And so I'm, I've got a little bit of tummy gurgles going on. But uh, other than that, I'm pretty good. 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 Yeah, I tried jumping rope recently. It's been a fun experience. I kept hitting myself in the shins over and over. And I was like, man, like, I tested the the length of the rope according to the charts online, and I don't understand. But I just think it was wrong. And I think the rope was a little bit too long, and it was hitting the ground in front of me, and then bouncing up into my shins before it could get under my foot. So I was getting really frustrated, and then I'd get really excited when I could jump it once and now i'm on like a six jump 
like Good. stretch, a six jump stretch. And then people can see this on your TikTok, right? Is it, am I correct in that? They can see the first one of me fucking it up left and right. I haven't posted a follow-up yet because I want to get better before I post the follow-up. But they can see the first one on my TikTok. Okay, but they could look forward to a second one soon. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I couldn't even tell you what my TikTok name is. I mean, it might match my Instagram. Instagram is at fit.fab.bella. I'll let you know. We'll we'll put it in the show notes somewhere. (laughs) I gotta look at that. So I guess in other news, you and my wife and I went antique shopping over the weekend. We did. I found a really cute Mickey purse. And that was pretty fun. I had a good time with that. Yeah. We got to play a little bit of a scavenger hunt. It <laughs> turned out to be a good time. I think we confused the lady at the front desk. Oh. Like I, when we're like, oh, because the three of us walked in. And uh-huh. that can sometimes surprise people in of its own. But then we're like, we're doing a scavenger hunt. And like, she wanted to ask more questions. Like, what are you searching for? What's it for? That kind of a thing. And it was like, it's just our own personal scavenger hunt. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess I'm used to confusing people when I go out in public. <laughs> especially when I have multiple partners yeah. with me. But even when I'm alone, I feel like I still confuse people in public. So I guess I didn't notice. Uh, it was a tone in her voice. It made me feel like she was curious but didn't want to ask things. Gotcha. <laughs> so we walked away with a couple of fun trinkets. I don't think we fulfilled everything on our scavenger hunt list, but mm-hmm. I think we had a, a pretty good time doing it. And and it was big. It was a big place. Yeah, and it was pretty fun to watch. I like to go antiquing, I guess, go to thrift stores and stuff. I like seeing stuff that's not, you know, something you can pick up on a Walmart shelf, I guess. And I've done this plenty of times with my wife in the past, and I've done it sometimes with you now. But I don't really recall any time before this where all three of us were really doing this. No, yeah, we do it separately when we're out on dates or on vacations and stuff. Watching how even you two were pointing things out to each other and and getting each other excited about certain things. That was fun, too. Yeah. Or you see something and it's like, oh, my gosh, this is so you. Right. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool. Yeah, it was fun. I don't do the one thing that stops me from antiquing more because I really enjoy looking through the things. But something about that slow mosey walk through yeah. bothers my joints, like my lower back and my hips and my knees and my feet and everything starts to hurt. But if I'm like hustling through a three mile hike, I'm fine. I mean, I'm tired, but I'm fine. Yeah. But that slow mosey walk and then you're standing and then you take a couple more steps and you're standing fucks with my body, man. It doesn't like it. So then maybe when we plan for this in the future... About 30 minutes before we go, you can take some Tylenol or something. Could be. See, I thought you were going to say I was just going to run laps through the antiquing. Oh, look over there. Oh, look over there. No. I I feel like you kind of already do that. Because I try to speed up my walk. I'm like, okay, glance, 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 moving on. And and that, (laughs) I actually struggle sometimes doing this with you because I want to take the time to look at everything. I'm there to dig through Whatever. I know the two of you were going through all those drawers in that yeah. one thing, and I'm like, I'm moving on. <laughs> right. And then there are so many times where you're like f- five miles ahead of me, and it's like, wait a minute, I still have shit to look at. Slow down. <laughs> so maybe another thing you could do is if you get to that point, instead of going ahead, just keep backtracking. 
just walk back to the front and then back and then back. Or I'll to the just front walk the loop and come back and be like, I've been here the whole time. No, because then we're not exploring together. Oh. You've already seen all these things. Oh, I see. And you don't you're want not to good see them with spoilers. You. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. You're terrible with spoilers. <laughs> if you know what's going to happen in the show, you're trying to tell me all about it before we get there in the show. That's true. And I don't like that. And with the antiquing, I'm like, look, look up here. Come look at this thing I found. Right. Let me bring you this teeny tiny butter dish that I found. Yeah. <laughs> and, and bringing it is one thing. But when you're like, come over here and look, it's like, no, you're way too far ahead right now. <laughs> I'm going to miss the whole middle of this episode of the antique store. Yeah. So slow your roll. Dial it back a little. Hang out over here. So it's fun when we do things together. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that people that do antiquing. Are like, yeah, I totally get what Monson is saying. Probably. And then the other people that don't care about antiquing are like, yeah, Team Bella. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. I, like, I look for things to catch my eye, but it's, I can't, nope, mm-mm. After that one store, I was like, okay, you guys can go do more. I'm going to sit in the car now. <laughs> right. So, welcome to Talk Your Poly Off, the Gastric Bypass Antique Roadshow yes. podcast. <laughs> yes. So good. No. This week, we are doing the Typophone Questions! Questions and answers. (laughs) Jinx! Huh. (laughs) (laughs) And so, maybe we'll do a little less antique discussion now and a little more questions from the Typophone. Yes. And if you have more questions or you want to share an experience with us, tell us about your antiquing style, anything like that. You can uh, leave us a voice message. You can shoot us a text. The phone number is 1-209-536-8976. And the first question that we're going to answer that came from the typo phone is this. My partner and I have been monogamous for eight years and have been totally happy. My wife and I talk about the lifestyle a lot and we flirt with the idea. My question is, why does it seem the poly community have partners completely separate from their relationships? Like, why isn't it more popular to have kitchen table style partnership? It just seems like it would be so much easier for the whole jealousy, trust, anxiety, love, and all of that if everyone was close to each other. It seems like having separate partnerships would divide original relationships instead of bringing them together. And then they said, thank you. That's an interesting question because I think a lot of people, when they're first diving into ethical non-monogamy or polyamory, everyone seems to come in with this mindset of kitchen table poly, right? It's the same thing. We all want to be one big happy family. Well, I wouldn't say everyone, but... No, I said, you know, for the most part. Uh, It seems to be. Yeah. And then you learn and you stumble and figure things out. And that doesn't work for everyone. But it's definitely a large consensus in the beginning for a lot of people that common sense tells me everyone should be one happy family because it would be easier. But the problem is not everyone gets along like that. Well, that's the thing is like when you're coming into polyamory for the first time and you're just trying to figure all this stuff out, it's either... The side of the spectrum where everyone should all be together all the time. You know, often it's we need to make a big commune and we all need to live on the property and that sort of thing. Or it's the other side of the spectrum where it's don't ask, don't tell. I don't want to hear any details. I don't want to have to handle my emotions and my feelings. Right. But for the people who are on the end of the spectrum that are Mm pro-commune, 
then yeah, this is this is a big deal. One of the questions that they asked is why does it seem that the poly community in general have partners completely separate from their other relationships? Well, I think that kind of comes down to autonomy a little bit. You know, the outside partner coming in and dating someone who's already partnered, whether it's a marriage or just multiple partnerships, they want to develop that one-on-one relationship separate from the person's other relationships. Mm-hmm. They Again, this isn't an all or nothing. This is like a generality and from what I've experienced. They want to develop that relationship one-on-one, mm-hmm. at least for a bit. Down the line, whether that person then starts to interact and build trust and comfort with other people in the polyamory circle of their partner, cool. They may not go that way. But I think in the beginning, a lot of people really want to focus on that one-on-one relationship without outside distractions or outside input. It's a lot similar to when people decide that they want to try to do a triad and these three people are getting together and trying to develop this three-way relationship at the same speed. And one pair of people in that triad is going to get closer and get to know each other better, or their relationship's going to flow quicker and more organically together. Yeah. And that might leave that third person feeling like, wait, we were supposed to all do this at the same speed. Humans don't do everything at the same speed. And oftentimes... It's that growing your relationship with an individual, which becomes a focus. Right. The other thing I think about the community, again, in general terms, you get a lot of outspoken, quote, veterans of Mm -hmm. the community. And when somebody comes along and they're like, hey, I'm seeking kitchen table poly, a lot of the times, especially in Facebook groups specifically... Those veterans will come out and be like, ah, that's not a good way to start. You should do one-on-one and focus on this. And instead of letting people find their way on their own and finding what works or giving advice that's like, hey, keep an eye out for this or this Mm -hmm. might be a bad situation, they start to get a little preachy sometimes. And I think some of it just comes from experience, right? They've gone through relationships where, all right, we're all going to be kitchen table poly and we're all going to get along. And then they had a terrible experience with a meta and shit blew up and it didn't go as planned. And so now they feel like they're giving some advice from a place of experience. They've been through this. Yeah. The problem is not everyone's had that same experience that they have. And that can be said for all sorts of stuff. You're going to get maybe some jaded veterans or, you know, people with very strong points of view that believe that you shouldn't do things with hierarchy or you shouldn't do things with kitchen table or you shouldn't solo. I mean, like... No triads. Right. It, everyone's got their own experience. And in this scenario specifically, I think if we just boil it down to why doesn't everybody, when they're doing polyamory and exploring with their relationships, why doesn't everyone do more kitchen table poly? And I think really what the answer for me would be that similar to what you said, is that there are times where you desperately fall for this person or you find a lot of joy in this relationship with this new person, but maybe one of their two partners, there's kind of a friction or you're not vibing well and you and that meta don't get along. Right. And even if you're willing to put in the work, you know, and hey, meta, let's work through this so we can all hang out for board game night or whatever. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the meta is not willing, you know, they're not ready to work on their ish. 
it might just boil down to you are developing this relationship with someone you really care about and they are attached to somebody who if you didn't have your partner in common, you guys probably wouldn't hang out or spend time together. Right. So it's, I mean, it's not, in a way for me, it's like trying to force a meta to love another meta. Sometimes the comfort level or the boundaries still need to happen, well, all the time, with metamors in a similar fashion with partners. If a metamor has a boundary where they love their partner and they're cool with their partner exploring, but they really don't want to get to know everybody, that should be a boundary that's respected. And sometimes that's just the way it ends up going. Yeah. And, you know, while some of us come into it with this idea of, yeah, I'm going to seek whatever relationship naturally happens, but I really would love to get everybody together on a commune where we all garden together and raise kids together. You know, like I know I personally would love that, but I also have been doing this long enough to understand that if I'm dating the muscle bound gym loving sportster guy, and then I've also got my nerdy D&D comic book loving guy, they may not have a lot in common to discuss. So when we're all hanging out, they can be civil and cordial and we can have a barbecue together and share birthday parties together. But they may not really know how to interact or have anything in common to share. Yeah, that's 100% the case. Yeah, so, so the idea of living together or living near each other might be a little scary when there's it's not really your community because you're just connected to this one person. Right. And then just the the other concept of the kitchen table poly, everyone coming together on a regular basis and talking about their relationships and where they're at. Sometimes scheduling causes conflict with mm-hmm. that. If if you're already dating three people and each of the people in your polycule is dating three people, next thing you know you've got twenty seven people trying to get them all together weekly (laughs) to discuss how they're going in their relationships. And there are going to be some things that they are comfortable sharing with their partners, but maybe not their metamors or, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of aspects to this. And also if you're relatively new to going into this, then the idea of needing that kitchen table poly right off the bat is going to be a little more of a struggle because you're still just trying to learn to get to know your partner and your metamors You know, they might have a tight partnership or a tight polycule, Mm. and you're new to their polycule. And, you know, we're all sometimes a little guarded on our personal information. Right. And so bringing a new person into a bigger polycule isn't always an easy thing to figure out. Or trying to create a big polycule right off the bat takes a lot of extra work. And and right now you might be wanting to focus on the one partner. Yeah. Yeah. So while it seems that, you know, kitchen table poly would be nice because it builds more of that community and brings relationships together, it's not always feasible. It's not always drama free. Uh, Sometimes people like to just focus one on one on those relationships. So I don't think the poly community in general has a problem with it. I think a lot of people who are experienced just understand that it's not always a possible thing. Right. And it could be something that doesn't seem possible now, but giving the time and the energy and the effort, it could grow to become possible. Yeah. Even to just some degrees. Yeah. So just keep on that road and see what happens. So that kind of leads us, you know, into this next question that we've got. 
When you are monogamous, how do you deal with a polyamorous partner stepping outside of the agreed upon rules and then being on the defensive without initial accountability or compassion about your emotions through the whole process? This is a good question. Mm -hmm. And I do want to say this and I want to try to say it as sensitively as possible. Yes. That it was presented initially in a very good fashion. And I think that some of the rest of the question came up with a little bit of the hurt. Like, like I'm hurting. How come my partner can't see this? And I right. want you guys to see that my partner can't see this. So I think at this point, it would be good to try to center and feel, you know, your feelings personally. So with that said, I guess, let's just jump into the question. When you're monogamous, how do you deal with a polyamorous partner stepping outside of the rules? Yep. How would you deal with that? Well, I think the first place to start is discussing the difference between some rules and boundaries. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming this is when you're monogamous, how do you deal with poly? So there's a monogamous partner and a polyamorous partner. Right. And when the polyamorous partner was like, hey, I want to or I'm going to explore this. As a couple, they set up some rules, right? Which is pretty typical. That's right. what happens. Right. Um, you know, sometimes it's no kissing or no sex or whatever those rules are. They had a set of rules. Rules are typically when you're trying to control someone else's behavior, yes. right? I'm not going to be happy if you go out and sleep with someone else because it's going to trigger some things in me. So I'm telling you, you can't. And that's yeah. a rule. My hard rule for you is you're not allowed to date anyone named Carla. <laughs> right. Right. You're putting a rule on someone else. Even if it's agreed upon, it controls the other person's behavior. Yes. Whereas when you set up boundaries, you're like, okay, I understand you're going to go do what you're going to do because you're autonomous and your own person and you're going to make your own decisions. But if this boundary line is crossed, this is how I'm going to react. So for example, if we say it's the sex thing, right? A rule is you can't have sex. A boundary is I'm not so comfortable with you having sex, but if you do it, we're not going to have sex until you get negative test results. Right. So it's, it's your behavior if that boundary is crossed. So I think here, it sounds like a couple has set up some rules. The polyamorous person stepped over the rules or broke the rule. And now you're having some feelings about it. And then that partner got defensive. Yeah. That's kind of the situation that's happening. Yeah. And and I think that we could discuss the defensiveness and the accountability and stuff as well. Yeah. But I think as far as how do you deal with a polyamorous partner stepping outside the rules? Mm -hmm. That's, that's where like what you're talking about, understand the difference between rules and boundaries. Mm -hmm. Ask yourself, if you're trying to impose rules on someone else, where is your trust level with that person? Right. Where is the strength of the relationship? If you're trying to tell someone, you absolutely cannot do this, why is it that you're doing that? And at this point, I would suggest to maybe not try to control using rules, but discuss boundaries. Mm -hmm. Like the sex test thing that you were talking about. And on top of that, I would also like to maybe offer that a boundary, the consequences of a boundary need to be a little bit, oh, geez, how do I say this? Not controlling. If you go have sex with someone else, you're sleeping on the couch and I won't talk to you for three days. And that's a little bit of a controlling thing. Right. That's where you guys need to actually communicate. But if the boundary is one that's, that makes sense, if you're having sex with somebody and I don't feel that my health is being taken care of, mm -hmm. then we will not have sex until 
there's a negative test. Right. The boundaries are more for your protection, your comfort level. Boundaries are more about you and your reaction. Right. But, all right, in this scenario, the polyamorous partner broke them, stepped over the boundary, broke the rule, whatever that was that was in place, they went and did it. I think that the very first thing, because there's going to be this stark contrast. If they break this rule or if they overstep this boundary, mm -hmm. then we're lighting the cannons and all hellfire is going to break loose. And you knew my boundary, so we're done forever. <laughs> that could absolutely be the case, especially right. if it's something very severe. Mm -hmm. Like, don't sleep with my brother. <laughs> right. Right. But if it was something that could be discussed, you know, we all learn from mistakes. Yeah. And maybe... You have a boundary that if I'm kissing other people, something happens, and I'm trying to think about it. But in the heat of the moment on a date, there's a kiss. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. I knew what I was doing. And in the heat of the moment isn't really an excuse. Right. But it still happens occasionally. That's at a point where we communicate. We talk about what we need to work on, how it was not okay, and then how to move forward. Yeah. So I think some of the first things are... Before you sit down and have this conversation with your partner, you need to figure out what you're feeling and why. You know, did them breaking the rule make you mad? Why are you mad? Did it make you feel jealous about something? Well, then why are you feeling jealous? I think you need to write out what you're feeling and why. So when you go to take it to your partner, and you're like, hey, when you broke this rule, these are the things that it made me feel. Yeah. You know, instead of finger pointing and blaming and shaming and all of these things. It's, Hey, this factual thing happened. You in fact broke this rule that was agreed upon, but this is how I'm feeling. Make it about you use I statements mm -hmm. and, and then you can kind of go from there. Communicate and build a plan to do better. Yeah. So then to address the other part of this about when you confront your partner mm -hmm. with the rule breaking, they get defensive they don't take accountability and they don't act with compassion w about your emotions. I am the queen of defensiveness. <laughs> I am really quick to get defensive and explain myself and, you know, no, 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 that wasn't what I meant or that's not what I intended. Like you didn't fully get it and things like that. So I completely understand. If you're telling me that I hurt you in some way, my first thing is, no, 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 I didn't mean to hurt you. Instead of listening and being like, okay, my action hurt you and I'm sorry for that. That's that, like taking accountability. Yes, you're right. I did this intentional or not. It's a fact that I stepped across this line and that's owning that. Mm -hmm. And then the defensiveness it's hard. It's hard to hear when you hurt a partner. So sometimes you kind of have to sit in that, keep your mouth shut and listen and try to understand with compassion where your partner's coming from. They're not sitting here, hopefully, shaming you for it. They're understanding that you messed up. They're having some feelings about it. You need to step back from your feelings for a minute to understand theirs. Right. And then if you are the monogamous person in the situation or, you know, you share this experience, whether you're monogamous or not. You're the rule breaker in this situation. No, you're oh. not the rule breaker. Your partner, the polyamorous oh, one, right. is the rule breaker. And you discuss your feelings with them and they initially get defensive and they try to avoid responsibility. There's really, I mean, from from your standpoint, you you express your hurt. They're automatically trying to deflect and deny this is an easy place to start the fight. If they're already deflecting and denying, 
They've invalidated your feelings and they're trying to save themselves, which might upset you even more, which will prompt your brain to start throwing out your thoughts without filtering before they get to your mouth. And that's where the fights happen. Mm -hmm. At this point, when they're deflecting and denying, maybe one thing you do is you, you just stop. You let them do what they need to do. You let them say what they need to say. You hear what they're saying because this is what you want them to do for you. And when they're done, say, okay, well, you've got that out. I've heard you. But I want you to hear what I'm saying. Yeah. Because if you automatically return fire, then you're just starting that fight or you're just escalating into a fight, I guess. For me, in this point, it would be to not create escalation and let them defend. Let them feel like they've gotten their say, whether it's valid or not. Even listen to it and try to understand from their point of view. And then once they're done saying what they need to say, then you can go back to saying, okay, well, I've heard that, but look, this is, this is where the line was crossed, and this is where the boundary was crossed, mm-hmm. and this is where the agreement was violated, and that's what I want to talk about, regardless of what excuse you might have. Right. And that's where that conversation, once you can both kind of talk about your feelings on it, then you can approach the subject of, okay, clearly this boundary or this rule didn't work for you because you broke it. So how can we adjust this? This is what I need. If this line is too far or this doesn't work, what do you need in order for this boundary or rule to work for you? Right. You know, that's where you can renegotiate and discuss that so this continual breaking of trust doesn't happen. Right. Well, and it should be pointed out that a renegotiation doesn't have to be a compromise of what you're comfortable with. Right. Oh, they keep breaking that boundary. I should break down my discomfort level around this thing to appease them. That's not what we're saying at all. You still have your boundaries and you still have what you need. And you don't have to compromise. If you feel like your relationship's being held back or after some reflection, you think we could probably do things differently with some good communication. Sure, go for it. But if you can't both have your needs met, then that's when you need to reevaluate your relationship. Yeah, definitely. And if it and if it gets to the point to where they're just going to keep doing it, they're willfully going to continue to violate boundaries mm-hmm. or break rules. And that's not a healthy relationship either. Right. And right. so as much as you care for them, if you guys can't respect each other, maybe don't be with each other. Yeah. That's an extreme, but it's a lot better than being hurt over and over again. Yeah. And if this is a, a rules situation where you're trying to control someone else's behavior, maybe that's when the discussion needs to come back on, okay, I'm not going to put any rules on you. Let's pull back on the rules. This is a learning process. You do you. But if that happens, this is how I'm going to react. And I'm going to create some boundaries for my own health and safety and sanity. Right. And that's exactly okay to do. Yep. Basically, just communicate a lot and (laughs) and try to do it in a way that doesn't escalate into arguments or fights. And if you need to take time to step away, say, look, we can't do this right now. We're both too emotionally charged. Let's come back to this in two hours. Try to set a time limit and try not to put too far in the future. Yeah. Let's come back in three hours. You know, let's just get a good night's sleep. Talk about it in the morning. And if your partner needs to step away because they're getting too emotional or things are getting too heated, let them step away. Yeah. You know, sometimes we're partnered up and one of us wants to hash it out now. I need to resolve this. And the other needs to take a little bit more time to process. That's okay. You need to be understanding of each other. All right. So with that said, let's hop to our next one. Yeah. 
This one's kind of fun. My question is about pet names or nicknames. What if the one pet name you want to use is already being used by another partner? I totally have this one. I mean, we could all, all of course, talk about it. But I remember when we were first dating that, like, my go-to was I wanted to, I wanted to say lover uh-huh. or something. Uh, there was another one, like Mr. Joshua. or so, There was something like that. And both of the times that I wanted to use it, I had just previously heard your wife use the same names. And I was like, oh, snap. Yeah. Like, I can't. Not that she told me not to use them by any means, but it was like, I don't want to call you lover if someone else is calling you lover. Right. So now what? And then it was like a session of Googling partner pet names to be like, no, that doesn't fit. No. Let me test this one out. Hey there, sugar pie. Nope, that one doesn't work. You know? <laughs> now, also, I don't know if the way the question is posed, I don't know which relationship they're talking about. What if the one pet name you want to use is already being used by the other partner? So let's just go with lover. Right. Are you wanting to use lover for this partner, but you already use it for that partner? Or is it that you want to call this partner lover, but this partner and their partner also call each other Right, lover? right. So I think maybe we'll go under that assumption, like what you were, you were talking about. That's with, what I think, yeah. Okay. In my experience, I mean, and a lot of people don't like to use pet names. Right. And, you know. But we're going to go with the conversation that people do want to use the pet names for this question. Yeah. If you're, if you end up having pet names, it feels weird saying pet names. Nickname. Sweet names. Yeah. Okay. Let's go with that. (laughs) If you want to use sweet names with a partner, I understand the importance of that connection or that bond. Mm -hmm. That's, that's like a, a bond thing. And sharing that with other people might make the sweet name feel less important. A little more bitter? Less sweet? <laughs> <laughs> kind of bland. It becomes a bland, bland. name. Bland. That's better than bitter. It's more seasoning. <laughs> so I get that. And I guess without really thinking too much about it, I kind of avoid cross-pollinating sweet names. Yeah. Well, I mean, on the receiving end, mm-hmm. I don't want to be called the same thing you call someone else. Even if I want it to be special to me, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, there was a minute there, you do it all the time anyway, you call me sugar butt. And that came from this set of stickers we started using in Messenger when we were not living together and we were saying goodnight and good morning and I miss you and things like that. It was the sugar bears like stickers. And then we started, I would use that one where I shake my butt and it's a heart all the time. And so it just evolved into sugar butt. You know, and so (laughs) there's definitely these nicknames or sweet names that I think come from the experience of the one-on-one partnership. And if you're calling your wife of 25 years lover and then turn around and call me lover, while the word itself has the same like meaning, definition behind Mm -hmm. it, and it could still apply to us, it's not an individualized per our relationship name, you know? And I think that's the deal with sweet names is that you want to, you want to have that little extra something with somebody that feels like it's building on the bond that you're working on. Yeah. So I'm not, I call you sugar butt. I'm not going to turn around and be like, hey, sugar butt to some (laughs) random person. Not only would they be like, fuck you just say, (laughs) but that's, that's what I relate with you with. Yeah. And so what does happen when you want to use 
one of these suite names with someone and it's already being used. Well, I think really what it comes down to is is you're wanting to have that uniqueness. Mm -hmm. And if you're finding that your partner and one of their other partners already has something like that, you want to be able to have something that identifies your individual bond. So yeah. like with Sugar Butt, that came about for a very specific scenario <laughs> and it stuck. And I do remember when I first started calling you that, you're like, that, I don't want that name. <laughs> and now I use it 20 times a day. Yeah. And I think that you'd be a little weirded out if I didn't use yeah. it. I mean, the other one you'll use is like little one a lot. And that's just from the, the little side of our kink dynamic. Right. But it was funny because along with the kink stuff, I, I'll call you daddy. It's always mm -hmm. daddy. And of course, outside the home, I tone that down and don't publicly call him daddy so much because I don't want to offend other people. But once he started calling me sugar butt, it turned into daddy butt. <laughs> right. <laughs> what do you want, daddy butt? You know? Yeah. Uh, but I also think sometimes we need to be a little bit more patient with our names. Mm -hmm. You know, we're in a new relationship and we see our partner calling their other partner lovey-dovey names and it's super cute and we want that because we're riding high in NRE and we're so adorable together. I just want to come up with the cutest name for you because it's so <laughs> awesome. But we haven't experienced enoughness together. You know, we don't have any... Um, adventures under our belt. You know, there's right. no individual experiences for me to then come up with a name, even though I really want a cute name for you. So sometimes we just have to be a little more patient and wait for that magical name to kind of present itself to us. If we start Googling and we're just like, I am going to call you the bear. You are now the bear. It's not as meaningful or special. Right, because then you're just Google searching. The more that you try to force it, the more it starts feeling a little contrived. It needs to be worked in a little harder. Yeah. It doesn't feel as right. Yeah. So, yeah, take the time. Learn to grow it organically. And you might find yourself with a partner and then you, you found that you're suddenly calling them this cute nickname that you didn't think you'd use or just came out of the blue like us with our stickers or whatever. Yeah. So there's there's places, there's opportunities. And Give it time and you'll find it. Yeah. And if you're really feeling a connection to a name that somebody else is already using, maybe there's a variation on it like daddy butt, you know, like mm -hmm. sometimes things can be altered and shifted and add a little spice, a little bit of flair to it, right. you know, wait for it to really hit you before you're like, oh, I always use honey and someone else is using honey. Well, maybe honey is not going to fit your relationship this time. Right. So maybe it is. And then that can be a discussion between all the partners and metas and polycule people and be like, hey, you know, I really enjoy this name between us. Does that offend somebody else? They might say no. And then right. everybody's good with using it. But give it some time. Have a discussion. See where it goes naturally. Well, and that's another thing. It could be in the relationship dynamics that you have that people might not feel like this ownership of this word. Mm -hmm. And they might just do it just because that's what they do. And they might not have a problem with, you know, you calling your partner lover, even if they call their partner lover, mm -hmm. because it's still just a positive affirmation and, you know, a sweetness. Yeah. And it might not be one of those things where it's like, no, that's off limits. Well, and there's even variations of words like, all right, so some people use daddy because of their kink dynamic. Other people might call him papa. Other people might say... That'd be weird. Well, what was the other <laughs> word that somebody used with you? It was like a sensei. 
A senpai. A senpai. And that was kind of like a daddy in a sensei teacher kind of a role. Uh, So sometimes there's other variations of the same word that maybe you want to use that everyone would be comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Find the organic feeling for it. and It'll feel right when it's right. It'll feel right when it's right. That's good. (laughs) That's super good. All right. So I think another question we've got. Yes. I need help. I live with my partner and their spouse, and it's looking like they're about to split for many reasons going back years. What advice can you give me for supporting and being there for my partner during this tough time? Side note is that I'm terribly afraid of looking like a homewrecker to outsiders. Uh oh, here we go. Uh, this one's a little awkward because I want to. I've I've been there. I mean, I, I want to say that it was a learning experience. But I've definitely been in those exact shoes. I've lived with a partner and partner and their spouse decided to take a separation for nothing having to do with me. Issues going back years. And I absolutely felt like I looked like the homewrecker. This was all my fault. Polly was to blame. When really all I needed was to be supportive for my partner do what I could to let them know that everything was going to be okay. We were going to all work through it one way or another. Right. And it was tough. I watched that partner struggle. I watched many a hard nights. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out in the end. This particular time, we had a great run. Everything worked out through that separation. And I was there to provide that emotional support, be a pillar of strength in their time of need, I couldn't do the work for them. It was their relationship, but I was there to help support them. Right. I think that you're going to look like a homewrecker to people who don't understand. Right. And that's something that is going to need to be worked on internally to understand that if the problem wasn't to do with other partners and it had something to do with how the relationship was or it sounds like... There were other issues not related to polyamory. Mm -hmm. So if that was the case, or at least mostly the case, and this was on that trajectory anyway, then at this point for the not wanting to look like a homewrecker, you want to be able to learn how to manage these feelings inside yourself or find a way to seek help to get to a place to where you understand that some people are probably going to see that whether it's the case or not. And yeah, some people might consider you a homewrecker. At least for a while. And And it goes back to that not caring what other people think. Yeah. If you can be okay on your own and inside know that this had nothing to do with you, you did nothing wrong, you're not a homewrecker, people are going to think it perhaps, but if you don't take on the guilt and shame of that, you can still hold your head high and not give a fuck about the people who don't understand your situation. Right. So with the homewrecker thing aside... You're looking for advice on how to support your partner and be there with your partner through this tough time. I think another issue would come into play where if you and your metamor, it sounds like maybe there was an open V and it wasn't a triad, but if you and your metamor were friends, then you can still also support your friend. Yeah. And that would probably also go a long way to helping support your partner is that sometimes people split. And this is a little more difficult in a polyamorous world where, you know, oftentimes when people split up, it gets ugly and it gets bitter and there's a lot of bad things that happen. If we could all manage to learn how to split a little more amicably and peacefully, then there might be less deep scars in the whole thing. Right. And of course, 
you know, disclaimer that's with the understanding that there's no abuse happening. We're not telling you, oh, be nice to your abuser as you split. That's not what we're saying. We're saying in general, when people just generally break up because it's not working, that maybe we can do it with a little bit more compassion and care and not trashing the other person. Right. So I would think that the support that you'd want to give, there. I mean, this is actually kind of a big topic. And I know that we don't have a lot of time left for this. But some of the fundamentals I would say are, first, to understand that this is a trying time for multiple people involved. And support comes in many forms. Sometimes a partner is going to need someone to vent to. Sometimes a partner just needs to say things and be heard. Sometimes a partner needs to be taken out of their living space or their head space, even if just momentarily, to kind of shake all of the struggles off a little bit to be able to help process more in the future or even, you know, in 20 minutes. So some of the help could be listen, listen without judgment on, on any side, not encourage the, the deep negative feelings like the trash talking Mm -hmm. and the, you know, F this person and F that person. Try to find a way to help your partner see the brighter side of things without ignoring the troubles, but also remembering that there are good things still going on in life. Right. Take your partner out on a date and it doesn't have to be a fun, exciting date. It could just be, let's get out of the house. Let's go for a walk down, down the street at the park or, you know, just go have dinner and talk about something else or focus on something else just to give that little bit of a break. Because oftentimes I know, I know that I've been in some hard relationships and when you don't get that break, it just feels like a nonstop weight dragging you to the center of the earth, you yeah. know, and alleviating some of that is really helpful. There's a lot of ways that you can support a partner. Yeah. We did do an episode uh, back in March. I believe it's episode 76. It's called Life Changes and Support in Polyamory. Oh, yeah. Excellent. So that might be a really good resource if you are... Just looking for some additional information with how to support a partner through the ups and downs of polyamory. Yeah. And then another way is to be able to help your partner process through things. Like, I know with Bella and I, when I struggle to process through things, she wants to jump in and get very active. I'm a fixer. I want to fix it all. And sometimes it gets too much. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, slow your ponies. (laughs) This is not what I need right now. Yep. And listen to that when your partner says, this is not what I need right now. Sometimes it feels hard and you're like, but I just want to help you. But that's not help. Right. Right. Sometimes just loving on you and hugging you and touching you mm-hmm. and showing that I'm here if and when you're ready but, is what is the support that you need. Yeah. But there are also times where a struggle is a really big deal and a big change in life means that you got to plan things differently and you got to learn how to do things differently. A way to support a partner is to help them with those plans or help them learn how to do something differently. Yeah. You know, in an encouraging environment, those are other things that could also help. Definitely. And it doesn't matter what the situation is here. You know, sounds like your partner's going through a split of some sort and you want to help them. I really like your advice with helping the meta, helping Mm -hmm. their friend as well. I think that's something that a lot of people forget about because your primary focus is on your partner. And then while you're helping them, then the meta becomes 
you know, the bad guy because right. you're seeing the damage being done to your partner when that's not the case at all. It's not a who wins and who loses. It's everyone is hurting. You know, how can I just be there for my people? Yeah, everyone basically loses. There's yeah. no winner. And I think that it would feel better if there was compassion all around the mm -hmm. board to the best of your ability. I mean, there might be a circumstance which would prevent you from being able to deal with a metamor. Yeah. Or maybe you and the metamor didn't get along in the first place and that interaction might make things worse. Right. But I think that in this scenario, all of you living in the same place and then they're ready to split. I think that there's enough commonality between you and your metamor where you can also try to work with your metamor and let your metamor know that you're not suddenly their foe. Right. You didn't choose sides and now it's two on one. Right. And then be careful not to be the middleman in that environment yeah. where you don't want to be the messenger that gets shot, I guess. Yeah. And with all of this, we always are advocates for mental health professionals. You know, we're not therapists, we're not psychologists or psychiatrists. So if any of this goes to that level, please make sure you seek out professional help. And that's actually a good point is that if your partner's having a hard time seeking medical help or professional help in that sense, that's another way to support. I know that about 13 years ago, I went through a very traumatic experience and I didn't know how to handle it. And my wife knew that I needed help, but I didn't know how to ask for it. So, you know, with my consent, she went and she found that help for me because she also didn't know how to help me at that time. Right. And she got things set up so that I didn't have to do all the the administrative work to get in to see a therapist. Yeah. And I went and did counseling for a long time dealing with this traumatic experience. And that was amazing support in, in itself. Mm -hmm. You know, after every session, she understood that there are certain things I needed. There are certain times that I needed just to decompress and to things like that. Yep. That's great help. Absolutely. Well, I think that's all we've got for this episode. But again, if you've got questions or you want to share a story with us, you can always reach out on any social media platform. Just search Talk Your Poly Off. You can email us, talkyourpolyoff at gmail.com, or you can text or leave a voicemail on the typo phone, which is area code 209 536 8976. Or if you want to get cute about it, 209-536-TYPO. I do like being cute about things. Which is funny because you say the normal way. I know. That is kind of backwards. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Polyam fam, we will see you next Tuesday. All right, bye now. Thank you for talking your poly off with Bella and Monsada. You can find our Facebook page in the links or by searching for I Love Polly and liking the page Polyamory Get Your Heart On. You can also find I Love Polly on Instagram and Twitter by searching I Love Polly Cares. If you want us to help you navigate to all of our online presence, check out the show notes or come on over to ilovepolly.org. We would love to hear from you. That's right. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at ilovepolly.org. That's singular podcast, not plural. So until our next discussion, Polly and fam, live like there's no tomorrow, laugh until it hurts, and, and love, love without, without limits. limits.